because he has one million ecstasy pills of very high levels of MDMA, okay? One million? Gene, that is a lot of pills. What's the tax on that? Jimmy wants 50% netto. Love a bit of cloak and dagger this lot, don't it? on living system, natural, cultural, um, making money out of everything without any possible um, uh, way of containing it. The biopiracy remark of Andana Shiva, very important. If we are all part of a system that capitalizes on all that lives, we, remember, position differently in different perspectives, and need to work from within to make differences that actually matter. And uh, among the necropolitical aspects of a system that profits from life, the war machinery as a private industry without humans in sight, and the fleet of drones that China and the United States are building are the most extraordinary advanced um, systems, um, hardly any human in, in sight. I have an alliance in the Netherlands with the military academy. I work with them, and they are very, very worried about drones for two reasons. They are suppressed in the jobs of soldiers, of more job suppressions because of automation. And secondly, soldiers are humans that have a code of conduct for how to kill. And there is no sense, um, a clear sense of what exactly is the code of conduct of drone um, firing. So look at the war machinery, the necropolitical governance as, as something that really belongs to the conversation about life. To, to say capitalism is a system that, that commodifies and profits from life includes death, includes the necropolitical, includes various uh, sectors of the population and that are simply infrahuman, non-human, and that we label refugees because we need to deprive them of the last vestiges of their humaneness. So the necropolitical is very much part of this. This is a lecture on its own, so I need to move on. So I got you totally depressed. I'm really happy because now I've got you. In the middle of all of this, wonderful things are happening. <clears throat> and the Got it. Am I starting? Yeah, go ahead. Five, four, three, two, one. Hey, everybody. This is the agency. My name's Eugene here in Toronto. And it's Candy here in Chicago. And you know what? I do feel like we might have some internet problems. I can hear oh, you no. cut When you were cutting down, I could hear you go five blank, three, two, one. Uh-oh, well, I we'll hope see. that we get through this okay. Please forgive us if we have a few missing words here and there. Yeah, I think I think it's okay. I, I think it's on my end. I have a very busy computer today. All right, uh, so how's it going over there? Well, you know, uh, Sheila and I have had an earworm all week. Oh, boy. 
Yeah, it's a bad one too. Uh oh. And I've decided that there is only one way to get rid of an earworm. You're going to play it for us? I'm going to share it with everybody. Oh, Jesus. But how are you going to do that? It's only one line of a song <laughs> that keeps repeating for both of us over oh, and over no. and over and over. It has been going on for a week. So what I'm going to do to try to get rid of it is I'm going to try to do a dramatic reading of a verse of the song, oh, sort okay. of like Richard Burton or William Shatner might do. All right. Sounds good. And that's going to get rid of the earworm. All right. And and you can just, you know, shout or squeal or something <laughs> when when you know what the tune is. All right. Because that's when the transference of the oh, earworm energy will I start. I hope I don't know this song. All right. Well, her name was Lola. Oh, uh, Ipnema? She was a showgirl. With yellow feathers. <laughs> oh, Copacabana. And a dress cut down to there. She would merengue. She'd do the cha-cha. <laughs> and, well, she tried to be a star. Tony always tended bar. Across the crowded floor, she watched. She worked oh. from eight to four. They were young. They had each other. Who could ask for more? And you are right. Oh, it is Barry Copa, Copa Cabana. <laughs> over and over again. Oh, so I want man. you all to enjoy it. You're going to be singing it for the week. So, well, if um, maybe angry with me, if David I hope you're not. I know David and Sylvia, they enjoy it, Barry Manilow. I do too, actually. I don't, you know, I don't dislike Barry Manilow anymore. I think I did for about six months of my life when I was a fascist punk rocker. But uh... well, it, it's funny, you know, uh, I could tolerate him now too. And I, at one point I had no tolerance at all. And when, you know, I wanted to see him in uh, Vegas when I went there in the fall, but uh, tickets were too expensive because <laughs> I thought what a great thing to do in Vegas is see Barry Manilow. How much were tickets? I think it was $400. Oh my God. I don't think <laughs> I, I spent $400 for like right. a musician or a singer or something. Not I even. don't know. You know, years ago, uh, Prince was playing Vegas and Stag and I, we almost went, but it was something like $3,000. But we were uh. like, oh, who cares if we just starve to death? It'll be so worth it. <laughs> and I still think I kind of wish we could have gone. You know what I mean? I just, well, you know, we, we've seen Prince a couple of times. I have Once too. we were, we were like up in the rafters and um, through, through a pair of binoculars, <laughs> you could see people in the VIP greet Prince area down at beside yeah. the stage. Yeah. And so we played identify the celebrities oh, who spent a ridiculous amount of money to get those tickets. Yeah. Lucky them. That's and we cool. were able to identify some. Yeah. I, I've yeah. seen Prince a couple of times. I saw him pretty close to, but you know, I do, you know, damn it. I mean, now he should be playing in Vegas all the time. Oh, I'm sure that, you I'm know sure what I mean? that they would, they have like a holograph Prince, don't they? Oh, stop it. <laughs> By now they ought to have a holograph. I would think. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, I'm going to say this about, about Prince shows. I mostly don't like arena shows, mm -hmm. you know, uh, I don't really like that kind of the sort of anthem rock that you often hear in arena shows. And uh, I, it's usually there's too much of a trade-off in terms of the music for me to really enjoy it. Well, and the, the exception, the exception mm -hmm. is Prince. Yeah. I gotta say 
the Prince shows. I don't know who managed the show and figured out all the all the stuff, but I gotta say that he really knows how to work a room, yeah. even with twenty five thousand people in the room. Yeah, and, and I th- it was I think, quite the thing. I think there's a number of performers like that, and Prince is definitely one of them. And you're at a Prince concert, so who cares how big the room is? Um, and I think though that also speaks to the style of music you prefer. Um, and also how you like your music. You prefer to be up close and intimate. Yes, although band. I used to go to arena shows all the time because right. that's what you did, right? That's right. We, so we always we always would go to see like people we wanted to see. Mm-hmm. What was the first arena show you saw you went to? I don't know. Show? I don't know, but I, I've seen so many great bands and they've been in I, small places and big for, places. For, for but... me, I'm pretty sure it was the Beach Boys. Oh, that's an amazing yeah. show to the go Beach see. Beach Boys at Maple Leaf Gardens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I saw Iggy Pop and the Pretenders at the at the Maple Leaf Gardens. Um, I would even was... prefer like a Massey Hall to a Maple Leaf Gardens. First of all, the sound is right. arena rock sound. Right. It's not very good. Right. So the music's well, got to be awfully good to overcome yeah, the horrendous sound. Yeah, they, they can do that. They can do that. And I mean, yeah, I'm sure that there were some bad times. for. I saw a terrible... Uh, amazing band a gang of four but it was at um down what's that where the p uh, i want to say pne um cne where the cne is the pne is in vancouver yes but that one down in in ontario and the sound was horrific it was so depressing it just stayed with me forever but in general no i mean i've seen people at the varsity I've seen um, Echo in the Bunny Minute Varsity Stadium. It was one of the best concerts I've, I've ever been is, to. Is there a show that you think of as the worst concert you've ever gone to? Yes. Yes. I saw Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> Ooh, howler. But now I have come because one of our friends of the podcast said, when I told them the reason why I thought it was the worst concert, I said, because the whole time Stevie Nicks and Lindsay Buckingham were fighting. And when she would start singing, he would give the finger behind her. <laughs> and I was kind of traumatized by that. I, I had, you've seen, I know you have an arguing band story too, but I had never occurred to me that a band would hate each other like that. I was just so naive. I didn't follow, you know, I didn't follow their drama or anything. I, I found out later they were all sleeping together and mixing it up and doing cocaine, but I didn't realize that, uh, you know, it could be that way. So I was pretty upset by the time I left that show. But when I told that to our friend, David, he was like, that's the best concert that you got to see Lindsay Buckingham <laughs> giving her the finger. <laughs> and it was also a really cold concert in Calgary. And it was a very cold night and she had almost no clothes on and little scarves, you know, Stevie Nicks. And so she was freezing. It just was a <laughs> horror. It was just a bad concert. Um, but I, I've seen many, many way more concerts better than worse. The Clash. I've seen The Clash five times. And um, they, they were bad? No, they were amazing. Oh, okay. I'm saying I saw so many bands that were awesome. I saw you know, The worst Taylor. show I ever, I ever went to, mm. uh, I think, was actually at a club. It was at Albert's Hall. And I went, this was way I, back. Oh, yeah, I know where you're going. In our university days. And yes. I, was with, I was with Craig Morrison. Yes. Uh, and we went to see Detroit Sunny. Junior. Oh, I thought it was Sonny and Brownie McGee you were going to tell me about. Sonny Terry and Brownie McGee. No, that was the first time I was at a bar, though. <laughs> it was. Didn't they Sonny... fight like bitches, you said? Well, not at that time. Oh. At the time, I went to see, the first time I saw Sonny Terry and Brownie McGee, <laughs> uh, we, went to, we went to the Elma Combo and wore blue blazers so we would look older. <laughs> 
You can't even make it up, right? No, I'm embarrassed. And they let us in and they gave us this like watered down 50. And we were sitting like 10 feet from the stage. Oh. And at that time, it would have been, I don't know, 78 or 79. Yeah. And, and they, they were so good. They still kind of liked each other. And it was just the most amazing show. And then a year or two later, I saw them at the Ontario Place Forum. Remember with the revolving stage? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And at that I time, saw, yeah, they I decided saw. that they hated each other. Oh, and God. they didn't play together as like two separate shows. It was awful. Mm. Oh, you, is... you wouldn't even think it was the same, <laughs> the same performance. So, so sad. Oh, well, I mean. But, uh, but Detroit, Detroit Jr. Yeah. had, he had a... Um, a woman playing bass and it's like whatever music she was playing bass to it wasn't the music he was performing <laughs> she might have been playing bass uh -oh. to something in her uh -oh. mind uh -oh. um it was just the worst band you could wow. ever imagine wow. and good old detroit jr he just sucked mm -hmm. and it was i mean <laughs> we had seen some great shows yeah we, we had seen uh uh, uh, Buddy Guy and Junior Wells performed together twice at cool. Alberts Hall, yeah. and it, I mean, hot shows, hot, yeah. hot shows. Yeah. Um, were some great shows back in the day at uh, at Alberts Hall, but that was not one of them. No, that is so funny though. That's terrible. Well, and like I said, most of the concerts I've really loved. I was lucky enough to see Cecil Taylor at um, what's that place down on Victoria? Uh, it's a club downtown, right by the Eaton Center by Massey Hall, like a jazz club. I can't remember the name of it. So it was a okay. really small room and he's right there. It was, it was profound, profound experience. I saw Debbie Harry in Victoria, again, a small venue. I went with my sister and Jennifer McInnes and we were just like leaning on the stage with Deborah Harry. And One of my favorite stories that my dad used to tell me was about going to uh, the Colonial before it was a strip joint when it used to be a jazz club. And he went down there. To, to, I'm sure I've, I've probably told the story on the <laughs> podcast before. Um, right. He went he went there to see Wingy Minone, the, the one-armed oh. trumpet player. And uh, uh, and he went in there and uh, he sent up a, a he sent up a shot of whiskey to the stage and mm. uh, uh, and Wingy held it up and said, play it boys, I got a sponsor and went wow. and had a drink with my dad. Wow. Now I think that's pretty cool to have a that drink really with Wingy cool. Minone. Uh, during cool. his show at the Colonial yeah. Tavern in Toronto. Yeah. Now that would have been a show to be at. Yeah, definitely. Also, another show that would have been great to have been at. I don't know if you remember in Toronto, we used to have, not far from where I live now, in Mimico, mm -hmm. it's the community down the road, there used to be a roller skating palace <laughs> called the Mimicombo. And <laughs> uh, we used to go roller skating there all the time. It was like a major high school activity for, uh, mm. for us. We would go take the, the bus down and uh, do some roller skating. And um, James Brown played there. Oh, James damn. Brown. That's James incredible. James Brown, the hardest working man oh, in yeah. show business played yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. pretty cool. That sounds like an intimate setting again. I saw James Brown at the Forum on that revolving stage you were talking about. Oh, you know. And I saw Rita you know, Franklin Stag, there too. Stag sent me a video of that show when yeah, he played there. the forum and was there. there was like three hours of james brown on video <laughs> at the forum it's fantastic it was amazing and you know what was funny it was you know we sit there you get outside we're sitting down but james brown comes out so we stand up and then the people around us are like sit down sit down and we're like we can't sit down it's james brown and then james brown was like get up get up <laughs> well and then he started singing get up <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, Aretha Franklin I saw there too. I saw Aerosmith, Run DMC, and um, Kid Rock there. At the um, Forum? Yeah, that was great. I, I don't know if it was still called people. the Forum at the time though. I oh, don't know okay. if it was still called. But what was cool was I didn't, I was kind of far away from the stage. And next thing I know, I turn around and right behind me, they had a surprise stage of Aerosmith. It was wow. pretty amazing. And of course they played with Run DMC. I've seen some good concerts here in Chicago too. Not just in Toronto. I saw... Um, Oh, I've seen Wu-Tang. Couldn't believe it. That's like, that's one for a lifetime. And um, Brian Jonestown Massacre. Amazing at the, I think it was at Smart Bar or Metro. That was an incredible evening. Brian Jamestown, Brian Jonestown Massacre. Plus, great band name. Fa- great band name. One of my favorite bands. I think that's it. When you just love a band, you just, you just go, you just love it. And that's why Gang of Four was so traumatic because it was just terrible. They Something was just screwed up. And I've met other people that were at that show and they were like the same thing. So it wasn't just me and where I was standing. It was a well-known screw up. At the Forum, I can think of some of the best shows I've ever seen and one of the worst shows I've ever seen. <laughs> the worst was Chuck Berry uh, at a time when he would, he, his policy was to give me a thousand dollars on a plane ticket. I'll play anywhere. Oh. And he showed up at the forum with a pickup band he had never played with before mm. that included the worst Hammond B3 player I'd ever heard in my <laughs> life. And Chuck Berry came out and the band stunk. The band oh, was so bad. And bad. Chuck was trying to play and women kept jumping on the stage and running <laughs> up and kissing Chuck Berry. And, and then he said, Next, next time someone comes on stage, I'm leaving. Mm. And of course, what happens? Someone runs on stage. Oh, Chuck, oh, Chuck. Right, tries right. to kiss him. And he turns around, unplugs his guitar and walks off stage. And that's it for mm. like 10 minutes. Mm. And then I think he came out and played a couple more songs, but he stunk. And it wasn't a bad thing that he didn't play much right, more. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, but on the good side, mm. on the good side, I think I was 15 and I, I went to see muddy waters and opening for muddy waters was at just the peak the peak of his power the james cotton band Mm. and they rocked they were such a good band so hot at that time really crazy busy drummer yeah Um, great horn players fabulous fabulous band opening up for muddy waters and muddy was super fantastic Mm. such a dignified guy amazing player singer and then for the encore james cotton came out and played with uh with muddy oh it was a great show at one point during (laughs) that show um you know the the stage revolved and as it's revolving somebody holds Mm -hmm. out a mickey a Mm. bottle of booze to james cotton and he takes the bottle. it's one of those small small Mm. mickey bottles right Mm. and he takes the bottle and he just puts his head back and glug, 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 hands wow. the bottle back and does a harmonica solo. Oh, I mean, it was, it was just wonderful. It is pretty cool. The other really, really great, great show I saw there. And this show, I went down super early because I really wanted to get in the front mm. for this show. It was Pete Seeger and Arlo Guthrie. Mm-hmm. And I'm down there four hours early. <laughs> I don't even remember who I dragged down with me, um, but I'm sure that I, I heard, why are we here so early? Because that's it like, was stupid, right? That's so like me did. going to see New Order. <laughs> so so there we were, and yeah. um, they come out to do a sound check. And the sound check was 40 minutes. Oh, geez. And when during the concert, when they would do, for instance, eight miles high, well, during the sound check, they did Mr. Tambourine Man. 
So that's oh. what it was like. They had a whole alternative show nice. that they did. And when Arlo would play, Pete would walk way up to the hill. Mm. And Arlo would say, can you hear me okay, Pete? And, uh, you know, Pete would wave to make sure that even the people in the worst possible seats picnicking up on the hill could hear. And nice. I thought, that is really fantastic. Nice. So generous. Saw really two shows for the price of one, which was free with ad admission to an Ontario place. Right. That was a great, great concert. <laughs> You know, I, I had a pension for, uh, used to get a lot of backstage passes <laughs> or get backstage somehow. I would worm my way back or get invited. I by can't imagine you doing that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Partied with um, Robert Gordon, New Order, the band. Robert Gordon, wow. I know. All over the place. I would end up getting backstage. It's a lot of, uh, a lot of good bands. Um, yeah, I love that. I'd love to hear from our listeners their favorite concert and their worst concert. That would be awesome. And how can our listeners tell us? They can tell us at theagency.podcast. At gmail.com. That's right. <laughs> I think that my um, my brandy got to me there for a second. I kind of stopped. Oh, you got brandy? <laughs> I thought I would. I thought I would. Oh, man. I, just I have so about... many notes here today about things. I have lots of notes, too. But, you, you know, so wow. far I haven't even looked at them, right? Wow. That's I often mean, the way. Yeah. I make all these notes and then I ignore them and tell the same right. story I told like two weeks no, ago. No, no, no. That's okay. I'm going to try to stay on top of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I watched another con artist show. Which one? It's called Inventing Anna. And it's funny and because... Tr true crime? It's true crime. It was on a Netflix special. It was premiering... February 11th. I was so excited about it that at midnight I looked at Netflix to see if it opened up yet and it hadn't. I was like, I thought it was premiering on the 11th, but apparently it was not at midnight because I was ready to watch it at midnight. Um, I had read a couple of magazine articles about the story and um, it was called Fake Heiress Cons New York Party Crowd, basically. And um, if you got to con somebody. The New York party crowd is a good crowd to con, I think. Yeah. So it was sure. probably just a few years ago. And one story was written in Vanity Fair. And it was about a woman who said, my friend ripped me off of $60,000. And then another story was in the New York magazine. And um, they both stayed with me. I, I didn't know that anybody was going to make a movie with them. But when I saw Inventing Anna, I, all, I, I knew what it was going to be about. I didn't remember her name or anything, but I knew it's got to be about that story. And basically, um, this is a Shonda Rhimes production who I normally really, really love. And she did How to Get Away with Murder and Grey's Anatomy and Scandal. She's very, very oh, incredible. Yeah, yeah, incredible um, producer. Um, and this was, listen, this is a very, I was, I would have watched it anyway. But it did have some problems for me. Some of the performances were not great. I'm going to blame the directors. Um, but besides all that, I've never let, you know, bad acting stop me from enjoying a, a great story. And it wasn't bad acting. It was almost like wrong choices. Does that make sense? And I swear to God, it has to be from the direction of the director. Um, it's sort of a comedy drama. But it should have had more funny lines unless you're going to hire physical comedy comedians to do the part. Sometimes they kind of rely too much on funny faces. Um, but other, other than that, it's an incredible story. So this woman is from Germany. She moves to New York and she meets all kinds of people. And she tells them that she's an heiress and her father's um, a billionaire in Germany. And she proceeds to live in hotels 
and not pay for them and go yep. out for dinner and not pay for it and try and raise $40 million to create an artist community. So yes. the setting... Yeah. If I didn't pay for dinner or stayed in a hotel, and didn't pay, <laughs> I would like be doing like eight months in the big house or something. Oh, Some people, they could just do whatever they want. That's true. It, it does come to her. Don't worry. It comes to her. It's a nine part story. So it's much longer than I thought it should be, quite frankly. However, I was in it for the ride because I just wanted to know who is this woman? How do you do this? And they basically, you'll be a surprise, somebody very familiar to both of us. She's from the Americans and from Ozark. Julie Gardner, who plays the little tiny blonde um, woman yes. in the Ozarks. Yeah. Great actor. She plays the Russian heiress, the uh, German heiress, I'm sorry, who turns out to actually be Russian. So I just blew my story. Oh, so they had, they had an actress do it. It wasn't like... It was not true crime. It's oh, true. okay. Got it. Got it. It was, it was a biopic. Or... Yes, 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 yes. So when it's fictionalized, you got to just go with it, right? Sure. Um, and I thought they had a lot of fun things about it. And it was also very intriguing. So the background is, um, is the New York art scene in a lot of ways and all the fancy restaurants and hotels. So the sets are really good. The clothes are amazing. And then it's all these different friendships and uh, starts. Basically you get two storylines. One is by a reporter and this reporter, you're going to find kind of interesting. Her name's Jennifer Pressler. They changed her name in the movie. I guess they couldn't get the rights to her story. Um, but uh, she also, okay. hmm? she was That's interesting. Right? Yeah, they did change they the name of her. They didn't change the name of some of the other people, but they changed her name. So I guess they couldn't get permission to use her story. She's, she's a writer and a journalist, so she's probably going to do it herself or something. But, or maybe she didn't want any part of it. I don't know. Um, but she basically has had some rough times at her job. And she sees this story as very viable. She heard a rumor. She's been arrested. She knows that a German heiress has been arrested and put in, in jail for con art, for fraud or ripping off people for millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands. I don't know what. And she gets obsessed with the story and her publishers don't want her to do it. We don't know why, but they don't want her to do it. But she perseveres and she gets into the jail and she meets this woman and tries to see if she can get her to give her her story. And then what she does get is all the list of her friends and she starts trailing down what happened. So you get her looking after this story and then you flash to them acting out the story. Okay. The okay. Little flashbacks. But this, this journalist, the original story journalist also wrote hustlers. Do you remember? She broke the story about the, the, the hustlers, the dancers who ripped off guys. Remember oh, the movie right, we right, watched right, with right, Jennifer yeah. Lopez? I, you know, I had forgotten about that, yeah. that, that movie. It was a hurting movie in lots of ways, but yeah, I remember it. Yeah. So it, I thought that was kind of interesting. It turns out, basically, you start realizing these two women are trying to break into the patriarchy, art world, money-making city. They actually have something kind of in common. They're both trying to break into a world that's dominated by men. Um, one of them, the young woman, trying to be like, you know, a real estate mogul, you could say if she wasn't just a con artist. <laughs> her storyline, her defense is that she's just like a guy. Any man in, in New York, she's just trying to make money, getting loans and setting up a real estate business. And she wanted to buy a building and make it an elite artist um, boutique hotel or something. Just what we need is more artwork locked up by private collectors. Um, but, you know, it was an interesting angle because hey, if she, there's any private collectors out there who would like to lock <laughs> up some of my art, I can arrange it. I don't want you to think that that is like the agency podcast. True. You 
no, stance, on, stance on this. That's right. I am I not taking a stance. I can be bought. I'm just saying. Yeah, good point. So anyway, it's such a good story because why is she doing this? And how come she's doing this? She's pretty good looking. She seems to understand. Um, you know, she just does she just not want to work? At the same time, the other woman, we find out the journalist that she had a bad story. She interviewed somebody and it was fake. So she comes from the world of fake news, while this young woman comes from the world of of con art. So they're both kind of looking, it's kind of interesting. So the journalist wants to redeem herself with this breaking story. And um, the whole reason I'm watching it is to find out why is she like the way she is? What makes her tick? Unfortunately, the accents were inconsistent. Some of the acting was inconsistent. However, I really, really loved it. But something weird happened. At one of the scenes, probably around episode six or seven, you've got this one woman who travels with her. We know she goes to Morocco and the heiress doesn't have any money left, but no one knows it. Her credit cards get denied in this expensive um, hotel in Morocco. And her friend Rachel, who she brought along, and she's been buying food and and saunas for this woman's been partying with the rich heiress for months, if not years, she has to pay the bill at $60,000. And it's her Vanity Fair credit card. And so she gets into trouble with Vanity Fair. I hardly ever use my Vanity Fair. I know, right? (laughs) Uh, So that kind of is one of the ways that she gets arrested. And um, or gets caught where they start to figure out because she goes to the police eventually. Once she gets in trouble at work at Vanity Fair, she's like, it's not my fault. <laughs> and so you kind of go on this whole journey with these different women. And it's a little bit like a, the medicine to sex in the city in a way, um, you know, the real life in New York. But there's also this weird scene where with this woman that um, lands up getting ripped off in Morocco. You, you mean like, sex in the city? That's not true stories? <laughs> Oh, man. I know. So, so during this time with the Soho Grifter, um, the woman that does get ripped off, her name's Rachel. She's out for See, dinner. That'd be a good a, band name. I know. The Soho Grifters. Oh, yeah. I like that. There's a flashback scene where she's out for dinner. And while you're listening to this very fancy, they're all like 25, 30 years old, dressed very, very well, having a luxurious dinner. At some point, you're catching the conversation and you hear something about fire Festival. And I was like, what? I actually have to stop and play it back. And then you hear something about the guy who buys um, Little Wayne's, um, an exclusive Little Wayne song that only he owns and he plays it for them. And I realized at this table, I want to get their names right, is Billy McFarland, who did the Fry Fest. Do you know anything about that? The Fry no. Fest was a festival, a music festival in the Bahamas, where he got all these investors. Oh, it never yes, there happened. was a movie about it. Yes, I saw yes. that. Yes, okay. And then Martin I, I, It was Sprelly. one of those things that I sort of saw while I was doing collages or something. Right, right. And then the person who bought the Little Wayne thing is Martin Scrilly, the guy who fucking ripped off the pharmaceutical and charged lots of money for AIDS medicine. Do you remember that story? Yeah. Well, these two are at the table. This is a true story. She really did know them. She's, she stayed on the couch at this guy who did the fire festival. And she thought he was a low rent program. You know, he wasn't a fancy business guy like she was. He was just doing a festival. And she just thought he was like, you know, whatever, not professional. Yeah. But what are the chances? Do you think that con artists hang out with con artists? 
Well, maybe they're attracted to one another. I don't I'm know. I'm wondering. I'm wondering. Maybe it's their safe space where they, you know, they can't run a con on each other and they're just enjoying the benefits of their, their hard work. Here's the question. Yeah. Do con artists recognize one another? How quickly do they recognize one mm-hmm. another? Mm-hmm. I bet you pretty fast. I think so. Which brings me to the part where the computer was slow. I was trying to find a list of things to watch out for if you, how to spot a con artist. And so I think it's some of it's pretty obvious. Um, and you know what my father's term for a con artist was? <laughs> no, what? A $3 bill. Oh, a $3 bill. There you go. That's, that's yeah, a good one. That guy's I a like $3 it. bill. Mark my words. Right. Well, one of the first things they say is that it's a very um, extroverted person. And sure. yeah, that they and that they'll also embed themselves into a community. Oh, here's here's one. This is a good one. This is from a Connecticut a Connecticut government, and I guess it's a banking um, thing. I guess you know, of course, a con artist is going to be looking. One con artist don't like to be found. They'll blend in to like they'll they'll go anywhere. It says like senior center or religious center, and they'll hang out of that group or political community, and they'll already be embedded in it looking around and talking about, uh, you know, their job so that they're already well-established by the other people. Um, Con artists dress for success. They're going to look very, very put together. Um, They want you to believe they are just plain folk, but they are smart enough to realize this alone will not sway you to part with your I heard that orange hair was a characteristic. (laughs) What is that, from the Riddler or something? (laughs) I was thinking that the country you live in, they had this guy with orange Oh, stop hair. it. Stop it. Now I know what you're talking about. <laughs> Con artists also often push poorly understood financial products. That makes a lot of sense. Well, we're going to invest here, pay this, going to move the money here. I can, I can imagine that too. Um, con artists bring out the worst in you. Well, hmm. that was kind of interesting. Skilled con artists can bring out your worst traits particularly greed, fear, and insecurity. Mm-hmm. Well, that's true. You could only fool someone who believes that they will get money for nothing. Mm-hmm. That's what a mark is, right? That's somebody who still believes that there's some way you're going to get a, a, a free lunch. Um, con artists are fair weather friends. Um, they're very, very friendly. They take a personal interest in you out of the blue. So I thought that was pretty cool. And then for every silver lining, there is a cloud. <laughs> Well, they'll say things like your return is guaranteed. There's no way you can lose money. So just things that don't sound right because it's too good to be true. Um, here's another one that I think is really Sadly, for dating. For most people, if it seems good to be true, too good to be true, it usually is. Right, right. Oh, this one's for surefire ways to spot a con artist. And this is from American Greed. Oh, CNBC under the title American Greed. Oh, that's pretty good. Beware of the extrovert. Again. All in the eyes. The eyes are the window of the soul. The old saying goes, while not exclusive to con artists, once said a telltale sign of a fraudster is intense eye contact. They will make that eye contact Mm. in a fond way that they're listening to you, that they're talking, taking you in and that they're hearing you and appreciating you. All right. That sounds good. And I mean, that definitely would be a weak point for women. That they would be feeling, we, you know, so many women are raised to believe. That's like that um, Tinder swindler, swindler we are talking about last week. And like, how could these women fall for it? But we've raised women to believe that their Cinderella's and their prince is going to come. And he's going to be like, take them out fancy, you know. 
Um, spin cycle. Every con needs a good story. The ability to spin a good yarn. Geez, you and I might be um, con artists. <laughs> Wouldn't that be terrible? We're reading this. We convince like, people to listen it. to our podcast. We That's do want to convince you to listen to the podcast. That's true. Um, it's although if just... we were really good, if we were really good con <laughs> artists, more people, significantly more people, would be listening and, and donating to our Patreon. <laughs> but, but as not it that is, I'm expecting o- that. <laughs> only the best people listen to the agency podcast. That's right. High, Artists, high, top shelf, funniest. The Pop most show. charming, really mm-hmm. the best people. Oh, all you're around really good at this. For our you're, listeners, you are good at this. I'm. I'm going to watch my wallet next time we're hanging out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you already know there's nothing in it anyway. Um, it's not just <laughs> the same story, but they'll use the same inflection, the same word stress, the same pacing, same tone. Oh, interesting. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Very interesting. I get that. Yeah. And, and they probably um, do it the way we breathe. It's probably very intuitive for people like that. Good point. And then calm before the storm. Good con artists are so practiced in their story that they will never let you see them sweat. Okay. Um, they said the most adept fraudsters do not respond to stress the way the rest of us do. That does make, that sense, makes sense as well. Because you and I would be like, oh my God, my car broke down. Oh my I, I God. could never do it. I would be such a wreck. <laughs> well, especially with all that money, you know, where another a normal person would start to get edgy or concerned or worried and show their nervousness, the con artists won't. Um, their heart rate's not increasing, so they're not, they're going to stay super calm. Interesting. And then counterattack. Recognizing these telltale traits is an important first step. Oh, okay. This is how to resist the temptation to dismiss unusual behavior in someone you are doing business with. Oh, that's true. Like have confidence in yourself. If it doesn't feel right, it's not right. Or at least if it's not right and it turns out to be right, probably time if will it tell. feels too right, it's not right too. Right. And also all good things. It, it takes, it takes time. You shouldn't decide to go away with somebody on the first date. You should know them for a while. Um, the best piece of advice I can give in those situations is do not make excuses for the red flags. Well, there you go. That is great advice. Actually, you need to trust your gut. All right. Well, anyway, there's our public service um, work for today. How to know a con artist. The one I found earlier was for dating. And they still are going to rip you off, but that a dating con artist has certain things too. And definitely sweeping you off your feet is one of the first signs. And they know it only is going to happen to usually will only happen to somebody who has low self-esteem. So you should honestly know that about yourself. If you have low self-esteem, don't take it as something bad. Take it as something like I need to protect myself. Empower yourself with that. I mean, although occasionally somebody does sweep you off your feet. Well, that's true. Once in a while. It okay. Steak swept me off my feet, for sure. There you go. So I think it's that whole, though, I think they mean with a kind of a materialistic thing where it's like your shower. I mean, in the Tinder swindle, they were taking them on aircraft. They were, sure. you know, yeah. going to Morocco for the weekend. I mean, they should have known that when they went to Morocco and she's paying their way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was um, maybe some real problems with um, performance. And I don't blame the actors. I do blame some of the uh, directors. How to? Having said that, it is really interesting. And Julie Gardner does she does a pretty good job. I just think they should have let her speak in a different, in a flat tone instead of making her do a Russian um, Ah, accent. Yeah, Yeah. she should have just been allowed to have her voice um, maybe be. You know, Russian accents on TV are often and movies are often the worst. It is, and I think then they always call the guy Sergey, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. They did do a flashback to her childhood and everything. It's kind of interesting. And what's weird is her lawyer and the journalist 
they actually had a lot of sympathy for her. Hmm. You know, and I think it was because there's guys like Donald Trump that do this. You know, Donald Trump is a dime a dozen in New York in the 80s. Everybody had the beige pants. Everybody had the blue jacket. You go to a club and that guy would be there. You'd like, oh, I can't sit at the bar because, you know, a guy like that is there. How creepy, huh? Yeah. Well, that's just how they look. Uh, Patrick Bateman. Patrick Bateman. Right. There's a reason that's a how to protect yourself book, American Psycho. Yeah, really? (laughs) I forgot about that book for a brief minute. Yeah. That was quite the book. I'll never let you forget it. Yeah. I wanted to talk a little bit today about how to take a perfectly mediocre television show and turn it into one so bad that you're never going to watch it. Oh, no. What well, did they do? Good how-to, good yeah. exercise. Yes. So, um, first of all, we watched a pretty good a pretty good cooking game show called, mm-hmm. I think I told you about it last you week. You did, I can't get it, yeah. Britain's Best Home Cook with one yeah. Mary Berry. And it's charming and delightful and everybody loves one another and they have long-lasting friendships after the show. And like that, right? <laughs> yeah. It's that kind of thing. Well, we figured just as good would be the big family cooking showdown. Oh. So we started watching the big family cooking showdown. And this is a show. And I'm going to tell you up front, this show isn't a great show. It's not nearly the show that Britain's best home cook right. was. Uh, it ran for two seasons, I think 2017, 2018, mm. and then it got trashed. Mm. <clears throat> so let's look at why. It's a show that deals with families and home cooking, mm-hmm. and it has two judges and two hosts. That's a lot of judges and hosts. Right. So the two hosts were a great British Bake Off winner. Uh, do you know who Nadia Hussein is? I think she no. has some other shows. No. She was a winner on the, the Bake Off, and then the TV loved her so much, she's got other TV jobs. Oh. Yeah, she's very good host. Good host. And then there's uh, uh, Zoe, Zoe Ball, who's a BBC TV personality. And then they have two judges. The one is a Miss Michelin-starred chef. How would you like to be labeled with that all your life? Mm. I wouldn't like that. Mm. Although I guess if you're a chef, maybe that's what you aspire to. So anyway, his name is Giorgio Uh Locatelli. And Giorgio, his deal is he's really interested in Giorgio. It's pretty clear. He's pretty interested in this guy, Giorgio Locatelli. And he's really interested in being a celebrity. And you know, the last thing he ever wants to do is have to run a restaurant again, have Uh to cook anything, have to be a chef. He's having a time of his life (laughs) doing bad television, right? So so there's him. And then there's a cookery teacher named Rosemary Schrager. And Rosemary, she's big and loud and expressive. She's probably in her mid fifties, late fifties. And she is, she would be the life of any party. She just fills a room with everything that she says, you know, and, and her idea of judging would, would be, oh, it was so delicious, but such a shame, <laughs> such a shame, such a shame. You burnt the milk. Right. It was like, that. okay. Yeah. So they've got the two judges and they've got the two hosts. And what they do in the initial rounds is they go to the homes of the home cooks and they, the home cooks invite the judges and the hosts into their home and cook them a family dinner. Hmm. 
And then once they get into the, you know, they get past the riffraff, then they, they go back into the studio and they, and the studio is a location, very much like the Great British Bake Off is a location. Right. This is like a, a building. It looks like it's in the country. It's grand. Everything is wonderful. So, I mean, like I say, it's, just, it's not a great show. It's not a great show. But we watched it and it's a, a fine show for doing things like collage, where you only need <laughs> a little bit of your attention right. to follow what's going on in, in the TV show. You don't need your whole brain. So uh, we watched all of this and then we got through the first season and, and it was kind of pretty good. Yeah. And then season two. All right. I guess it was too successful. <laughs> they dumped the hosts. So no hosts. Oh, okay. Then they they brought in two new judges who were judges slash hosts. Okay, so mm -hmm. they got uh, a celebrity master chef winner uh, and was it Angelina Bell or Angelina Bell or Angelina Ball? I don't know. Okay, and a Michelin starred chef and boring guy named Tommy Banks <laughs> and. They have to do the hosting duties and they have to do the judging duties. Okay. And then they eliminated the whole go, to the, the most interesting part of the show, yeah. which is go to the homes of the contestants. Yeah, I like that too. Right? They just eliminated that and they decided to adopt a really sterile studio mm. set that's really boring. Yeah. And, and this guy, uh, Tommy Banks, his idea of judging, he misunderstood the show. He didn't <laughs> understand that it's not about talking about the cooking. Mm -hmm. That's just why you have, that's like the setting for the show. Okay. You know, it's like a fiddle tune has a certain kind of setting. This is a jig. <laughs> Jigs have certain characteristics, but it's what you do with that jig that makes it interesting. Right. Mm -hmm. So, well, he just, he talks in this really dry way about the cooking. Oh. This is not interesting. <laughs> and the cooking wasn't that interesting. I mean, what's interesting in these shows is the people. Mm. It shows about like you get to see people showing off the stuff that they do well in their family life. And it's kind of heartwarming and fun. And we identify with them, right? Mm -hmm. Well, they eliminated the best parts. They eliminated the go going to the homes. They got a bad set. They eliminated the hosts. So you had the judges slash hosts. And... Uh, they did several episodes per week and the judges, the judges slash hosts in the second season had exactly zero chemistry together. <laughs> none, none at all. Oh no. Uh, and so we've, we've managed to get through, I think two episodes and we've abandoned ship. They, they so destroyed a perfectly mm. okay show yeah. um, in deft strokes. Unbelievable. Yeah. Too bad. And so it got trashed. Yeah. Too bad. Yeah. I don't like it when you know a show gets canceled that you're you're investing in. But it's worse if they just take it downhill, you know. Too yeah. bad. Too, Too bad. bad. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know what? There's something weird going on. You know the show I told you about Ted Lasso? There's yes. a whole Reddit page about saying that one of the characters isn't even a real person. Did I tell you that last week? No. They think he's CGI because he's really? too perfect. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it? And I read tons of the comments that just, they really, really believe that just even the way the lighting is on him and everything, that he's not but a But mind guy. you, there are people, there are people who will believe <laughs> almost everything, hence con men. Oh yeah, well that's true. You got me there again. Have you ever seen the movie Now You See Me? 
It's about six like magicians who rob bank accounts of assholes. <laughs> Great concept. I love yeah. that. Okay, so maybe you should try and find it. It's a really kind of it's a, a B movie that just turns it, it gets to you. You gotta go with it. You know what I mean? Don't judge it too much, just go with it. But it, it's actually a good movie and it's so good. I think they made a sequel. Wow. Did you watch the other Nightmare Alley? No. Oh, okay. I was all prepared to talk about that. I'll leave well, it. Well, we can talk about it. No, Let's no. Go. I'll wait till you watch it sometime. That's all right. I'm just going through all my copious notes. Okay. You we, know, we I've did, been We reading. did watch a, a film noir. Oh. A short film noir. It's like one of the shortest movies I've ever seen. You know, I'm always <laughs> talking about movies that are too yeah. long, right? Yeah. This one was an hour and nine minutes. Oh. That is really short. I think it's, it's so too short. It's noticeably short. I guess. I think it's too short, too. This was 1945 noir uh, called Detour. Yeah, that's a good one. And it's it's pretty good because I think what's 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 good about it is um, is that it it has like a tried and true noir theme. Mm -hmm. the The protagonist thinks he's a good guy, mm -hmm. and it's just things just keep happening to him. Yeah. So in this in this particular show and and i think we have to keep in mind that the narrator is the protagonist is uh, al. yes and so yes. al is telling us the story and mm -hmm. he's a piano player and his gal sue has moved to la for the big time uh -oh. and he's really missing sue mm -hmm. and so he wants to go across the country to uh to la to to go and uh and set up shop with sue uh but he hasn't got any dough so he <laughs> decides to hitchhike and he gets he gets picked up by this guy named Charles Haskell. And there's a storm and there's some kind of freak accident where Haskell is sleeping in the car and, and Al opens the door and Haskell falls out and hits his head on a rock mm, and dies. I remember that. Right. Yep. And then Al thinks they're going to think I killed him. Uh -huh. I have to steal his identity. I know. So dumb. So he steals his identity. <laughs> and the, what's the first thing that happens is he sees a hitchhiker. And what does he do? <laughs> picks him does up. he just drive off? No, 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 mm -hmm. no. He picks up the hitchhiker. And the hitchhiker is, is this woman named Vera and Savage played Vera. And I tell you, what a nasty character. <laughs> Virus. She scowls and sneers out all her lines. She's the most disagreeable, nasty character that, that you could ever imagine mm -hmm. uh, in a movie. And it turns out that she was hitchhiking with this guy, Charles Haskell, first. And was she recognized the car. When he picks her oh, up, she recognizes the yeah, car yeah. and says, what have you done with his body? Mm -hmm. And he thinks, oh my God, she knows. Mm -hmm. And there is the, the heart of heart of the film. Um, mm -hmm. Really nice, clean little story. I agree. And it's it's dark, it's disturbing. There's something about this story that's disturbing because I think we all have this kind of fear that someone will think we're someone we're not, that someone will think that we're bad when we think we're, we're good, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and the director... Uh, Edward G. Edgar G. Ulmer, he, he was responsible for a wide assortment of oddball, low-budget gems. <laughs> and let me just give you some yeah. of the titles of his movies. And I, I want to watch some of these now. <laughs> okay, The Man from Planet X, <laughs> Beyond the Time Barrier, 
the amazing transparent man, daughter of Dr. Jekyll, right? Murder is my beat. The loves of three queens. Ooh, that could go Saint anywhere. Betty, Saint Betty the Dip. <laughs> Club Havana, my son the hero, and Moon Over Harlem, and many more. Dozens. He's done dozens of these films. And with titles like this, I want to see them. Yeah, I think that's why it's an hour and nine minutes is it's it's a low budget film, maybe. And oh, yeah, just for sure, for sure it it's low budget. You yeah. do that, you get it over the hour so it can go into the theaters. Movies do have to be a certain length to be considered feature. So you make that, you mark that. That's and then right, you, you, you have know, to hit the length. You hit, and that's you it, you don't length. have to go past it. You don't want to no. waste film. No, or, or right. the day's shooting. Food, you have to feed those people on that set. That's it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I've seen I've seen Detour a couple of times. I didn't remember everything about it, but once you're talking about it, I, I it was coming it, back it, to it's me. It's actually quite a memorable film, although it's cheesy in in certain ways. Oh yeah, totally. But, it is, but it's a but strong nonetheless, it's, it's premise. powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Such, strong such a strong story. Yeah. 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 Cool. How and about that? Saw, uh, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, last night we saw another film with an odd premise. <laughs> it's sort of like the Hardy Boys grow up. Well, I think I watched it. Yes, yes. I got dread kicking and screaming to that one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, the reason why, the reason why I watched it is hunting for hunting for material. Yeah. I I went online and you know, we have access to Netflix, Crave, and Prime here. And Stars comes, I think, with Prime here. Um and BritBox, I think, comes with Prime. Anyway, I went through because they all have such bad menus. And if mm. you want to search for a film, you search for it and it says, you get a message like, how can I see this? And you mm-hmm. find out that you have to sign up for yet another streaming yes. service. Yes, I hate that. I so, so I went through and I searched for lists of the best current movies mm. on these streaming services. On Google. On Google. Yeah, that's what um, I do too. And so I've got this <laughs> big list. And of course, I started down the list and immediately I hit, how do I watch this on a couple? <laughs> and then a couple that weren't even on the service. Oh, so I'm, I'm obviously not going to be able to see them all. But yeah. I found this one, which was which was on on the service. And just I'll give you just a, um, an idea of some of the movies that I found mm. on this list that mm. allegedly I can get. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, After Hours, the 1985 Scorsese film. Yeah, I've got that one too. Uh, yeah. An American Pickle, uh-huh. Assassins, Barb and Star, Go to Vista Del Mar, Beginners, Black Bear, uh, The Broken Hearts Gallery, The Death of Stalin, The Fly. Remember The Fly? Yes, I'd love I do. to see that again. I'd like to do that. Um, the Director's Cut of the Original Godzilla. <laughs> uh, the Good German. That one looks pretty interesting. Yeah, I think uh, I've seen that one. Yeah. Uh, Kajillionaire. Uh, the Kid Detective, I just saw. Uh, Last Night, which is a very Toronto centric movie, apparently. Yes. Yes. Um, Let Them All Talk, Lockdown, The Mummy, uh, The Nest, No Sudden Move, Shiva Baby, uh, which I think is about, uh, I, I think it's a, it's a Jewish sugar baby movie. <laughs> uh, Solaris, Wild, The Wolf of Stu Hollow. There's a title. Mm-hmm. Lincoln, which I can't get, it turns out. Um, <laughs> you Were Never Really Here, 
Um, to Catch a Thief, I don't really want to watch again. Uh, Detour. Fat City, boxing movie. His Girl Friday, a Howard Hawks movie. Uh, Walk Hard, uh, the Dewey Cox story. The African <laughs> Queen, I wouldn't mind seeing that one again. Sunset Boulevard. The, uh, the Grand Seduction, uh, Eighth Grade, The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind, Like Crazy, Hello, My Name is Doris. That was a great movie. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, Contra Tempo, Handsome Devil, We the Animals, Only Yesterday, uh, Private Life with Paul Giamatti, uh, The Death of Stalin again on two different services, so probably means I don't get it. <laughs> uh, 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 the Perks of Being a Wallflower. That's a good one. Uh, my Happy Family, 303, Layer Cake, Lawrence a, Eddie Layer Rage, Cake's amazing. Uh, Goon, Operation Odessa, Book Smart. So there's a like a lot of movies. If I can see a third of these, well, man, I'm going to have crap to talk about. Right now, this was on a list that you said one of the best movies, kind of a thing. I searched like 50 best movies on that currently on that service. If you haven't seen Layer Cake, you've got to see it. Well, there's a lot of these I got to see. Yeah. Um, so I did watch, because you watch Kid Detective, I put it on and I was like, I don't want to watch this. I sort of didn't want to watch it too, but, but it's kind of better than it should have been. Much better than it, it appeared. It was, it was actually a very good film. It kind of was because it was weird. It was it was it was very well written. It was and, very well written. And the main character was so pathetic. You know, <laughs> I mean, the, the the concept is he was a boy detective, and right. he was really good at it. He solved some cases, except when he had he had a, a an assistant when he was a thirteen year old or twelve year old detective, and she disappeared, and he couldn't solve the case. Right, and so he was trying to get over that. Except he's thirty one now, and mostly he just like drinks and gets stoned and has hangovers. Yeah. and and somehow or other he still has an office and sort of a gawky secretary. Oh, I assistant. love the secretary. She was amazing. <laughs> so it's weird because at first I was like, "There's no way Eugene's going to finish this movie." It but starts I did. out. I know, but it started out and I'm like resisting it. Like this is a ridiculous premise. I, is, that's what even, I thought too. It's totally even for, yeah, even for me, it was a ridiculous premise. But you know what? And then I was like, I can't believe he's got me watching a, a teen star, a former teen child actor movie. <laughs> well, I guess it was a coming of age story, huh? <laughs> yes, it is kind of a coming of age story. I immediately realized it was. Yes, except that he was a kid, so I guess it is. And he had never solved a murder before, and he gets hired right. by a high school kid to solve a murder. Mm -hmm. And he's got to do it. His pride is on the line. Plus, everybody thinks he's a loser. Mm -hmm. So he's got to do it. He's got to mm -hmm. solve the mystery. Mm -hmm. So it right, starts so off, it's like a bad Disney movie. It but is. it's a bad Disney movie with this kind of a dark underbelly that you're not quite ready for. It's so clever, actually. And it's filmed in Toronto, isn't it? Could be. It's made, it's made in Canada. I know that. Yeah, it is made in Canada for sure. Uh, lots of dark humor, really dark humor. Maybe uh, it was a, it was a um, an industry selects choice at TIFF. When it I came believe out. that I'm not surprised because um, the actor Adam Brody he was from the OC, so I was like, I can't believe it. What am I watching here? But the thing is, it starts to develop this weird dark humor, not like Darnie Darko 
dark humor, but oh, Donnie Darko. I haven't thought about that one for I a while. That Wasn't movie. that a movie? Oh, yeah. That's an amazing movie. Yeah. Oh, well, so we should do a Donnie Darko. We day should. We and should do an episode. We I agree. I agree. We should get a guest on for that too. Somebody yes. watch with us. Yeah. Yeah. So listen, listeners, write us if why you, you should you be the one. You are a fan of Donnie Darko. The agency podcast at gmail.com. You tell us why you should be a guest, a special <laughs> guest, special agent on the show to talk about Donnie Darko. Yeah. You got to come with all the info. That's all right. the Illuminati stuff. You yeah. have to be at least as, as well researched as the agents are. Googling. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes that's a lot. Sometimes not so much. Um, cutting edge analysis, nothing but. Yeah. So this movie grew on me. I will give it a 10 out of 10. I recommend people watch it because yeah. there's just something special about it. I, there, there I really, really liked is. It's it. It's well worth watching. Yeah. I loved his secretary or assistant or whatever. I could have went it's into their world. completely useless, but charming. <laughs> right. I could have gone into their world and stayed there. And the female actors were all really strong. It was mostly females with him. To, to be fair, yes. then there was like a bad kid. I mean, it just had everything. And a bad school principal. Yeah. And it had this weird part where you're like, I know this world and I don't hate this guy anymore. I kind of feel for him. It also works as a metaphor for being a child actor. Sure it does. Of course right? it does. Because what else could you be failing at as a child, except that you're like going to go rob banks and do bad prescription drugs. <laughs> <laughs> so I really, I, I really liked him that he did it. I, you know, I saw him in a movie recently and he was very good. So it's not that he's not a good actor by any means. It's just the whole thing. Once it started, I went, I don't want to watch this movie. It looks stupid, but I was wrong. Well, I was you know, so the, wrong. The only reason I watched it is because I took the time to make the stupid list. And <laughs> having made the list, I was determined to start knocking off movies from this All list. Right. And I thought if people thought enough of these movies that they're going to put it on best of on yeah. the, yeah. on the, uh, uh, the service the, list, then it's it's got to be worth the agents <laughs> having a look at, right? Right. Yeah. And so, so I was going to take one for the team. And even when we started watching it, I just I can't even believe I'm watching this. Yeah. And, no, and then very I, good. I, I texted you saying yeah. that I was watching it, and I thought I can't believe I'm even texting her and admitting <laughs> I'm watching this. I'm glad you. And did then it though. turns out it's interesting. It it was a very interesting movie. I really really liked it very much. I liked the relationships with the family and everything. It was really good. So much. I want to see if I wrote anything down I wanted to remember. Which is the overnight kids at school. Oh, you know what? There was, you know what? It, it started getting good when they go. He Okay, so a young woman, she's 19. Her boyfriend is murdered. She goes to his office and hires him. So it's a real twist on that genre of the femme fatale coming in because she's yes. not really a femme fatale. She's just an ordinary girl, a very yeah. nice and, girl and, who's and no one's helping her. And no so one's she, helping her. She heard that he solved cases, right? That's right. And so somehow they decide, let's go to the high school and it's closed and look in this guy, your boyfriend's locker. So they do he that. He did a he lot says, of break it in. He break did, it into said, the high school, break it into houses. Right. And, and hiding in closets. Wasn't that weird? Yeah. Hiding in closets yeah. business? But there was two things where I really got captured. I think this is like the two moments where I went, wait a second, maybe I started to get into it. But then I went, oh, maybe I really am going to like this film. They break into the school and they're walking down the hall. They go to the locker and it's all dark. And he goes, what's that noise? And she said, oh, that's the overnight kids. 
She's like, what? Oh yeah, there's all these kids. I didn't really understand that. Yeah, they break into the school and they stay there all weekend and they skateboard in the gym or hang out or order pizza or get food and they don't go home. And I related to that so much of being a disenfranchised teen. And maybe that was your your safe space away from the home life sucked or was boring. And then you got to hang out with all your friends all weekend. I loved it. It was a really weird sequence. Yeah. And then also- And no one's paying them any mind. There's all these other people in the school and no one's paying any attention to them. Well, there isn't anybody else in the school. The school's closed. Well, except that they see other people. Well, because the kids who are the overnighters are in the school. So that's where I'm just going with this. Yes. Well, that's right. But they're all the overnighters. So when they're walking down the hall, there was another moment that really sealed the deal. Is There's kids coming up the hall like a couple of boys. And the teenage girl, she goes right into the vibe of walking down the hallway. And she's like, hi. And she says it with a cute smile, really friendly. And it just reminded me of being in high school where you say hi to everybody and you're being friendly and you don't even know the kids maybe, but you've got to be friendly to them. I just thought, okay, this movie might turn out to be pretty interesting. And it did. It did. Yeah. So yeah, they were walking in the halls or they were going to do this or that and they slept in the school. It was such a great premise. You could have a whole TV show about that. You could. (laughs) Yeah, it really had that subterranean feel to it. In a very, it shouldn't have been mysterious well, movie at all. Well, yes. Plus, it's the way that they construct it. You immediately see that they're living in this idyllic Mayberry type town. Right. But what starts to unfold is that it's not so idyllic yeah, after all. Yeah, yeah. And it just, it was, it, they found a new way to approach that kind of you know, the tropes, the stereotypes, the universal consciousness, they found a new way to go to it. It's almost as if somebody like woke up one morning and the (laughs) the question that that came to mind first thing on waking up was what happens when Nancy Drew grows up? What happens when the Hardy boys grow up? Yeah. What do they do? Yeah. What do they do? Yeah. Yeah. Do they solve mysteries? I know. I mean, what a great premise, really. It was such a great premise. So 10 out of 10, I really recommend it. Um, yeah, wow. great movie. Great movie. I'm glad that you enjoyed it too. I oh, thought for a minute it was only me who liked it. Oh, it was really good. Did Sheila like it? I think so. Yeah, yeah Stag loved it. Oh my God. He walked in when I started it and I said, I don't know. You know, I was like, I don't know about this movie. And he, I guess he didn't have anything to do. So he just sat down. <laughs> so it was a really good movie. Um, I'm deep into my post-humanism, figuring out what the hell it is. All right. Yeah, so getting there. It's, it's, I'm getting there. Uh, your your conference, your Southwest mm-hmm. Pop Culture Conference, is mm-hmm. coming up very soon. I will be talking to you, and we'll be. I'll be coming to you and our devoted listeners that we appreciate so much from New Mexico next week. Oh yes. Yeah. So it's finally, and maybe time. we'll get some guests. I've got a guest for sure in March, a stand-up comic. So we'll deal with that later. That's outside of the conference. So trying to line up some some guests for us. But we'll definitely get a couple people at the conference. I'm really looking forward to that. We'll set up, I hope, maybe in a conference room at at the hotel or maybe in the library where we're staying. We'll figure out something. Oh, and we, we, um, today we we sent in, we had an opportunity to have our very first ever (laughs) advertisement for the agency podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, We were invited by, uh, by Charlie Walden to create 
uh, a piece of ad copy, like a business card, that when he does his big fiddle show and they have a break, they run the slides of the cards of people that he likes who have their advertisements. It's a great idea. It's, and it's really charming. And it was really nice of him to make the offer. And yeah. I, I uh, Candy did the artwork on it. She did a really great job. Thanks, Eugene. And I, I, uh, I sent it into him today and Charlie said, that's wild. And <laughs> I replied back, wild are us. Great. So, and if you've thank come you very to much, this, Char- Charlie Walden, thank you, Charlie. That. And if you've come to this podcast from our ad in uh, in Charlie's show, thank you very much. We really appreciate um, you coming by. Hope you That's like right. what Be you sure hear. To subscribe. Be sure to subscribe. Hope you like what you tell your friends. That's right. Um, and, if, and if you don't like email, what you hear, just tell us. tell us what you'd like to hear, and that's yeah. what we'll deliver. No yeah, give us give us a movie, a record yeah. review, something to do. Give us a, a record you want us to review or a movie or anything. Oh, and that yeah. goes like, for the like reactions. Too. We could do our own reactions. That's right. Show. That's right. Oh, so I watched a great um video. I'm gonna share it on our Facebook page. Speaking of the I wanted to tell you about the post-humanism. Um, it's so good. You know, I love my uh, Slovak Zizek. And uh, I have my little list of favorite uh, philosophers. Another one is Martha Nussbaum. And of course, John Vanderheide, who's been on our show. Um, well, this is um, David, who I met in Memphis at a different, at a Corinne McCarthy um, conference. He was giving a, a, we were both on the same panel for Blood Meridian. And he's from Australia. And we just hit it off. And he has written one of the very nice email that we read about a year or so ago. I don't know if you remember, quite a long email. And um, we'd read that on the air. Anyway, he recommended Rossi Bredotti. So I watched her today and I'll share that video I watched. It was really cool. She's quite a fascinating um, philosopher and she's really into post-humanism. So getting down with that. I watched a show. Oh, just just called... back up, back, back yeah. up here. Yeah. yeah. You're throwing out terms like post-humanism. Let's just talk <laughs> a little bit about it. Just tell well, us what I, this post-humanism I, is. Well, yeah, I probably historical context. Yeah, post-humanism basically. Um, okay, so I'm going to this will be good practice for me. I'll just um basically it could be if you think of humanism has always been defined as a male thing, right? Men, we say mankind or anything. So that could be part of it. It could be a re, a pushback to male-dominated society, but it's also a pushback to human centric society the idea that humans are the center of the world no we're not we're just another animal in the on the planet but some people believe that humans are the top of the food chain or the top of the species or evolved somehow i am not from that camp i was always you know me i like my interspecies stories Mm -hmm. so um it could also be what if you had knee replacement what if you had a leg you know you were maybe um you lost a leg and had it replaced that could start to border on post humanism the idea obviously the first idea you might come to is ai that could also be post humanism but the point is it's all of these things and pushing back um against um it's a feminist um realm for sure but it's not just feminist because it's good for everyone so it's really about how do we talk about being human and if we have things like ai can we sit and decide some of it's good and some of it isn't are some robots good? Are some robots not? Uh, great good? questions. Yeah. So it's 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 so many things. And I'm going to share. Um, she does a great job of just getting you revved up. So I'll share the video I found today on YouTube. Um, but yeah, it's a pretty good topic. So I watched a. I started watching a series called Altered Carbon. There's going to be a lot of things that deal with posthumanism. Something like the fly. 
something like um, Dune, something like The Matrix, sure, something okay. like The Terminator, okay? Um, so I watched a show called, and, and then Blade Runner. I watched Blade Runner again. I've seen Blade Runner before the 2049, but I watched it again. And it's funny. I love that movie, but I did see some problems with it. And it's funny because she mentioned them. I wrote Women in Refrigerators. Do you remember when we talked about mm -hmm. the trope? Yes, women yes. In, yeah, yeah. So yeah. they have a female character who's, she's a robot and she's there, but she's just helping push his, um, she's just an AI and she's there pushing his plot forward. And same as even the daughter that shows up, there's a, another female. So that was in that was disappointing. I still think it's a brilliant film. It's made for people who love Blade Runner, and it still has a lot to say about things. But um, it was a little disappointing in its treatment of women for me on the second viewing. The first time I kind of just accepted it. Oh, so I watched this show called Alter Carbon, and it is fascinating. Um, basically, it's about four hundred years in the future, and um, people now can buy immortality. So immortality would be part of post-humanism, I would say, too, because it's anything that is pulling you out of this idea of what we might have used to think. What, okay, and it's, there's been, there have been other other TV shows that we've, we've seen. Battlestar Galactica. Well, yes, but also there was the one about um, how if you want to, when you know you're going to die, you can buy into this place mm, that you go. Mm. What was the name of that one? Upsell or something like that, wasn't it called Upload? Uh, 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 so Upgrade. 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 No, yeah, yeah, upgrade perfect. was a movie. Upgrade was that movie that, where... Um, also post-humanism. Yes, yes, that was a so great you're movie. On it. Yes, it was. And so is Upgrade. So those are all part yeah. of it. So there, you're 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 on your way. Um, so this one is Altered oh, Carbon. Yeah, Yeah, no, it's a great topic. And it really is the topic that's going to help us. It's going to help the human race. It's a topic we all need to investigate, really, because um, we do need to find out how we negotiate how we want to live and and that we are allowed to negotiate that we're actually free to be philosophers and think that so altered carbon is incredible it's rumored to be one of the most expensive tv shows at first for the first few episodes which is why it ran into problems because it, it could only sustain two um seasons without a large viewership so um basically you're following this guy he has a term and i've completely forgot what it was and he is a mercenary he's hired by the powers that be that he's been in a few bodies so they can take a little disc and put your consciousness into this disc and keep mm. you and your body or reproduce plug your you body. into a different body correct Got and it. you could yeah. even make your own body again i think and so now we've gone 400 years so we see printing. some of the yeah exactly <laughs> so it's also westworld is a good post-humanist um right yeah. too, right and right. this what's interesting about altered carbon is that I'm seeing a universe, you know how there's a Marvel universe? They call it the, you know, Marvel I've universe. Heard that, yeah. yeah, well, this is like a whole universe that you could put Matrix, Terminator, um, all of the movies we've just mentioned. In a way, they have a very similar vibe, even though they're different characters, maybe different problems, but it is almost like entering this other realm. And oh, so- Interesting way of looking at things, okay. Yeah, so yeah. I find Altered Carbon is like that. And it references- in many ways, those those movies we've just talked about, it has something it's self-aware. And that's really interesting, too. It's it's just a gorgeous looking story. Is it? I'd say it's a B movie, um, which is unfair because it's better than that. It's really, really good, but it's not Although as fancy. Some B movies are great. Yes. Yeah. So I don't know how to describe it. Because in a way, B movie is describes a genre or an uh, approach you know what? That's more it. than anything else, right? You know what? That's what I'm trying to say. It's a genre 
it's a it's a genre realm and that's what i want to say i don't want to insult it because it's actually very good it's so good i would highly recommend it and it's a lot of adventure it's a lot of sex and violence um it's some drug use and um it's fascinating as hell and the whole um flashbacks and forwards are really really interesting um there's lines that like you're not your body that's one of the first lines in the whole tv show which sets the tone for post-humanism right away and um it's otherworldly there's there's um it's just gorgeous it looks like avatar met terminator met blade runner it's beautiful hmm. yeah it's really really avatar would also be post-human i think anything that also you're re you're removing that power structure of the human um, being like the film. yes i may be the only human alive who didn't see avatar you might not like it. I don't know if you would like it. I, I, I was pretty certain it. I wasn't going to like yeah. it. Yeah. And so I just like saved myself the agony. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I loved it. In fact, we went back like two weeks later to watch it again. But when we left the theater, two guys ahead of me, they said, that was avatarded. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought it was amazing. We liked it so much that we dragged our friend Trisha to it right away. Right. And we saw it down at um, Navy Pier on the huge IMAX screen and everything. 3D, well, it was incredible. IMAX makes everything better. Mm. That's amazing. So yeah, I'm working my way through um, through that. Oh, you know what? I wrote down something that she said on that on that on the video that I was telling you about about Rossi Bredotti. She said, "The future is in the transversality of everything." So in with that, that well, I think it means, because I want to tie in another thing. She said the opposite, and you and I have had this happen where, you know, I might say something quite general or you might say something and then we pick out and say, oh yeah, except for the exception. Well, she says the opposite of universalism is not relativism. It is perspectivism. And I just thought that was profound because you see it on the internet. I see it all the time on Facebook. You post something and someone comes in and they say, yeah, except for Joe Blow did this. And I'm like, that's not defeat. That's not opposite to what the point of the article is. You know what I mean? The argument is here, but having one exception and anomaly isn't dismissed the universalism. You've got to have perspectivism. You have to be able to be able to understand, yes, that sometimes there's a universal consciousness or a universal pattern, and sometimes there's anomalies, and that's called perspectivism. And you don't dismiss one for the other. That's how I took it. But transversality is weird. I think it's to do with that feeling of like, our freedom is in the fact that there isn't one pattern of way to live. There isn't one rule, there isn't one philosophy. It's in the blending. Anyway, really interesting um, lecture she gives, and I, and I can't wait to share it. You're gonna laugh your ass off. I'm not gonna worry about my segues in my paper anymore. <laughs> Because she just goes for it, right? She just flies. And I'm like, well, why am I feeling so self-conscious about my segues? Fuck that. I'm going to just fly. <laughs> Which I do anyway. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Anyway, Altered Carbon, I really recommend it. It's just a good adventure story, too. You know, it works on that level as well as being also and good sci-fi. Uh, it's on Netflix. On uh, Netflix, so at least Netflix peasy. America, maybe Netflix. Uh, oh, yeah, I guess you'll have to let me know if it is. I'll, I'll let you know. I'll check it out. Okay. Super good. I haven't had a chance to do that yet. Yeah. Because we were busy uh, watching something that wasn't nearly as good, I guess. 
<laughs> well, you know, you know, you got to see it. It, it. it might not be everybody's cup of tea, but it's, it's pretty cool. Meanwhile, I've been spending yes. a lot of time um, doing continued research on um, the guts of a fiddle. Oh, since I'm I'm trying to make one, I want to really understand the ins and outs of it. Mm -hmm. So I I've gone down the rabbit hole of videos about repairing fiddles, okay, repairing violins. All right, and there are various different people who have channels devoted to that. One of them, for instance, is Ask Olaf the Violin Maker, and this is a guy. I think he's in <laughs> Brisbane. Uh, Brisbane, Australia. He grew up in a violin making shop. His father was a violin maker, a master violin maker in Germany. Hmm. Then he moved to Australia. Um, but he does, he'll take you through a number of different projects where um, he'll have a violin that will be so badly bashed up, you would think there's no way anyone can fix this. And mm -hmm. this guy just works magic on these things. He's so clever figuring out how to um, how to uh, add pieces of wood in um, to repair cracks and put little cleats on the back so that it, it adds strength to the, the cracked area. So I'm learning about all of that and I'm continuing very, very slowly with my build. Um, I've I've started bending the fifth of six bouts that form the garland or the sides of the violin or the okay. fiddle. Uh, and once I have the six of them done, it'll be a continuous outline of a, of a fiddle. It'll start to look like a fiddle, mm. uh, even though the form is still on the inside. And then I'll have to sand as a unit, the top and the bottom to make sure that um, they're the same height everywhere. Uh, then it'll be time to trace out along my garland um, using a washer to uh, to get this a, a spacer to get the size and shape of the top and bottom plates. But it is slow. It's teaching me about patience. It's teaching me that there's no prize for doing it quickly. Mm. That it's better to take your time. I practice steps. I'll, mm -hmm. you know, I'll try, I've practiced bending extensively now um, to try to build those individual skills. And for me, being able to slow down, find an activity that, that is a deliberately slow activity is fascinating and um, I think is tremendously healthy uh, for me. And so um, I'm really enjoying going there. Mm, excellent. I like it. I like it that you have to wait a bit. Yeah. You're that is always a skill. Waiting. That's a skill. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Gives you time for, sure. for collage. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, collage, if there's any break in the action, if I'm, you know, watching a, a film or something, I break out the collage. Mm -hmm. That's the best time to collage is when there's something on the TV set. It's just helping. focus. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I can do that with reality shows sometimes, but I thought if, you were if I don't want to watch what I thought I thought you were about to say I could do that with reality sometimes. Oh yeah, well that too. But if, <laughs> if I don't if I could do something, uh, so there's just some shows that yeah, I, I'm good doing collage and artwork with, 
And I mean, I've been known to do many, many, many things while the TV's on. But if it's something I want to watch, I just get I just get into it. I'll just watch it. But you're right. There's lots of things that you don't really need to do. I started watching Next in Fashion again, even though I watched it two years ago. I'm watching that again. That's a like a fashion game show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Sheila got me to watch it. It's very good. It's on Netflix. And I've been really sad hoping there'd be another season. But in fact, there there is going to be another season. Oh, there you go. There hadn't been. But I guess they are. Yeah, I've seen some of those fashion ones. Sheila watches a lot of those. I don't know where she even finds them. (laughs) If they're out there, she can find them, believe me. And, you know, I think the the kind of game show formats, they they could be fun time wasters. Yes. And occasionally, like in uh, the... uh, the Britain's best home cook. <laughs> yeah. um, it, it could be a really charming show, really well yeah. worth watching. Yeah. So do we think this thing's waning, this coronavirus deal? Is this pandemic waning? Well, here, um, governments are stumbling over themselves trying to open up more restrictions faster. Mm-hmm. And as they do it, they're saying, this, of course, is being done in spite of the convoy, not because of it. Right. Well, it uh, is in spite of it. It's it's coincidental. Yes. And, yeah. you know, I saw some neighbors had uh, Freedom Convoy stickers on bumper stickers on their on their vehicle. And mm. I thought, do I try to bite my tongue? Yes. Do I try to be a good neighbor and not <laughs> mention it? Um, or do I do I ask a question like, oh. do you think the money you spent on this bumper sticker is going to pay for the guns they found in trucks in Alberta, or perhaps they're going to buy new Confederate flags. Mm-hmm. I could, but I'm, I'm, I think I'm above that. All right. I think I could take a deep breath. Yeah. I saw an interview. And on just the be a good neighbor and not create a war. Yeah. I saw a criminologist on CBC and he said that the harsh truth for Canadians is finding out that there's a million extremist right wing people in Canada that's the numbers they think they have on it it's it's a lot and how many people in Canada you know I I really I feel for people like my neighbor and I know I I figure my neighbor my neighbor is probably somebody who's thinking I'm just so fed up with this damn pandemic I'm so fed up I want to go out and socialize with my friends it's been so long you Mm -hmm. know it's I just I, I want my freedom back. And, but they, but he's not really thinking about, well, what is freedom about? And that is a subject for another podcast. That is. But, what is but I'll tell you this. Freedom has a sweet, but sometimes ugly twin called responsibility. And um, when you start to consider that, it, it, it sort of, it takes the piss out of the convoy. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I hope something takes know, a piss that's out of it. I, you know, I, I, what I'm really happy about is that they, they dismantled the, the, uh, the ransoming of the bridge, mm-hmm. uh, the occupation of the bridge without anybody getting hurt. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say kudos to the cops who didn't bust any heads because mm-hmm. I bet you the temptation to bust heads was really strong and mm-hmm. nobody got hurt. Um, it, it was peaceful. It didn't turn into any crazy ass violence or riots hopefully they can clear the problem in ottawa with the same way um, it's very interesting what's going on now in that the government has introduced the the emergency measures act here mm-hmm. um, which is 
sort of like the stepchild of the War Measures Act that Trudeau Sr. had invoked during the FLQ crisis. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's going to allow the government to have some powers that, you know, I'm really torn. On the one hand, I don't like the government to have a lot of powers that I think are excessive. Right. Um, but, you know, it's going to, um, what they're going to do is they're going after the money. They're, mm -hmm. there's, they think that there's a lot of, of money coming in from America, from far-right groups in, in America, funding this kind of activity. And they're giving the banks basically instruction to, um, how did they put it? To revisit your relationship, uh, business relationship with people who are taking part in the convoy. So I, you know, I think it's very smart, clever, but I'm still, I don't feel comfortable with it. I don't feel comfortable about it at all. No. And it's not just uh, from money from the states. It's also factions around the world that are fascist yes. factions, yes, of course. like Germany and yeah, and Iran and stuff, because they love this. They love it. The fascists love it. Well, yes, and they, I mean they all jumped in in the party, right? And so mm -hmm. I feel I feel for people who aren't the nasty far right fascists and um, racists and. Um, and the like, who are just frustrated with the pandemic continuing to go on and having this feeling that I wish it would just stop. And I really <laughs> empathize with those people who have jumped on the bandwagon. Um, and then I see people at these protests who are using their children as human shields. And I think, what kind of people are these? What kind know. of people are these? Yeah. So anyway, uh, mixed feelings about the whole business. Uh, I'm just glad that so far people are safe. Yes, and, and I think in general around the world in different numbers, it's it seems like it's going down. Laurie Garrett, remember I told you that my dad made me read a book in the 90s called The Coming Plague, and I was so mad at him. Like, yeah. I kind of want to read this book, right? Um, she has called it. Things she said about the pandemic have been coming true, and she always said three to five years. So we're definitely into the third year where it would start to wind down. And I hope she was right. Well, it's, it seems that lots and lots of people get this, this Omicron and um, the hospitalizations are going down radically, extremely fast here. Um, mm -hmm. So it seems that uh, it's a lot less uh, effective at killing us than uh, the Delta was. Right. So. Well, they're still related to each other though. Aren't they? Yeah, I mean, it's just that it's weaker. We're giving it a name because it's, it's weaker, right? Well, it's different. It's oh, it is different. Okay. I think it's not. It's it, it's different. Okay. It is gotcha. weaker, as it turns out. All right. But, and more people are getting infected. It seems that you can't you can't seem to stop it. I know. <laughs> you know. Oh, it was crazy here. I told you in December. I mean, it was insane. The entire city of Chicago had it. Wow. Yeah. Well, I think lots of people have it here too. I've heard of a number of people I know um, have had have come down with bad colds, which is probably yep. the Omicron. Yep, that's what it sounds like. So I'm hoping that that we're we're coming out of this, and uh, uh, I'm tired of it too. And I you want know? you to start going to see some artwork. You know, we get I would a lot like of to good, see artwork. We I've been really good response on social media. We get a really good response when we see art and we show art. So, All right. So yeah. out to see some art shows. Out to see smart. I'm going to work okay. on that. I'm going to try and see, maybe I'll try and see Meow Wolf or something. Now, listen, we talked about 
kind of joked despairingly about the immersive Van Gogh or immersive Frida. I meant to say, I wish there was more that weren't based on previous artists, but we're inventing. I'm not against an immersive thing. And so Meow Wolf is on in, um, in New Mexico in, in Santa Fe. We might try and go. Okay, is that what that is? It's like they're they're making up their yeah, own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all, I think that's great. I would love to see fun. it. It's like a light show. Yes. That doesn't use the, yes. the work of a dead painter in order to get people out. That's what that I'm trying to say. My butt. Yeah. However, that's my butt. I doesn't I do bother, lots of things bug my butt. <laughs> it doesn't bother me you. that people like it though. I understand why people would like it. I also think I hope they understand as artists why we don't find it that interesting. I want something that challenges. Um, my perspective on art. I don't care that people are enjoying the immersive Van Gogh. I don't care. That's great. Oh, sure, if they enjoy but it's it, just enjoy not it. me. I just don't it. want to enjoy it. Yeah, I just don't want to enjoy it either. <laughs> I refuse I have, to enjoy it. I have Ruby is here. Um, she's come over here to tell me that I have probably podcast just about one. All right. Well, we are done. And thanks for listening, everybody. And bye, we'll back bye, bye Ruby. Bye, George was barking at small animals in the, in the yeah. backyard. All right. Thanks a lot. Talk to you later, Eugene.